Hello and welcome to Timeless Files, a fan podcast for the TV show Timeless. I'm your host, Chris Butler. I've arrived, finally, at the last episode of Season 1 of Timeless. It's taken five months-ish to get here from when I started. I've a lot to say about Episode 16, so I'm going to get straight into it. Don't forget, if you're a fan of the show, watch Season 2 live if you possibly can or within the first three days after broadcast. The ratings are really important to the future of this show. On with the podcast then. It's the final episode of Season 1, Episode 16, The Red Scare. The episode starts in a similar way to the last episode with an attempt to humanise Flynn. Last time he was in a church talking about his family. This time we have a flashback to him with his wife and daughter. He tells his daughter that he will always protect her, but we know they were subsequently killed by Rittenhouse. The flashback ends and Flynn is alone. We can see the mothership time machine behind him. Emma Whitmore joins him. She says two more of Flynn's men have just bailed. Carl and the one with the big neck. She obviously doesn't particularly care to know all their names. There's a sense that Flynn is running out of support for what he's trying to do. He says he only needed them for one more mission. All of Rittenhouse are going to be in one place in 1954. He can end this. Emma asks if this is the same way Flynn ended it in 1927 and 1931. He keeps failing. He asks if she wants to walk out on him too. She says no, she just doesn't want him to kill her like he killed Anthony Brule. So this is the confirmation at last that it was Flynn who killed Brule. Next we see the lifeboat arriving back in the present day. The last episode ended on a big cliffhanger with Rufus shot. He was attempting to return them to the present, but the last we saw, he'd fallen unconscious before he could do it. But he obviously recovered sufficiently to bring them back. White and Lucy help him out of the time machine. They discuss hospitals again, but Rufus says they can't. Rittenhouse will find them. Lucy says she knows who they can call. And for the first time in quite a while, we see Lucy's fiancé, Noah, again. Last seen in episode 9. Or in fact, in a deleted scene from episode 9. He is a doctor, and he does his best to patch Rufus up. His verdict is that he doesn't think there is any serious damage to Rufus's internal organs. Which is miraculous. But he needs to go to a hospital where they have the proper facilities to take care of him. He talks with Lucy, away from the others. He's understandably not taking any of this well. He says she's disappeared for days. Lucy's mother has been calling him constantly. Lucy is dressed in strange clothes from the 60s. Rufus has been shot and she has blood on her. And now she's asking him to go away without any explanation. She says it's not safe for him to be here. He says it's like someone stole his fiancée and replaced her. He thinks this isn't her. 
But she says he's wrong. This is who she is. The person he knew. She will never be that person. He says, is this because of that guy? Which is a typical guy thing to say. Never mind the gunshot wounds and the strange clothes. Is it that you prefer that guy to me? Funnily enough, she gets right away that he means Wyatt. She denies it, but there's a moment of uncertainty that flickers over her face. And she tells Noah that he deserves to be with someone who makes him happy, but it's not her. And those words are very like what Wyatt had to say about it back in episode 9. That Noah should be with whoever he's meant to be with, but it's not Lucy. Noah leaves and Lucy returns to the others. Agent Christopher and Gia have arrived. Christopher says it wasn't easy getting Gia out of Mason Industries. That sounds like an understatement, but we'll have to assume that Christopher somehow had the resources to pull that off. Wyatt is in the lifeboat. He leans out and tells them that Flynn has jumped to Washington, D.C., 1954. Agent Christopher asks why then and there. So Lucy tells her about the Rittenhouse Summit that they learned about in Chicago. Flynn knew that without Rufus they wouldn't be able to stop him. Lucy is tending towards just letting Flynn do it now. Wyatt, though... He still sees stopping Flynn as the priority. Safe to say, Wyatt does not like Flynn. He says Flynn is rabid and needs to be put down. Wyatt asks Rufus if he's well enough to pilot the lifeboat to get them to 1954. He says he can do it, but when he tries to stand up, he doesn't make it far. They talk about Gia acting as co-pilot to help him. She's logged 60 hours in a simulator but she's died a lot. Anyway, Rufus says the lifeboat can't take a fourth person. But then Christopher looks at the security cameras and sees that they're about to be raided. She says it's not the government, it's Rittenhouse. She says she'll hold them off, but the rest of them need to go. So that means four people in the lifeboat, despite Rufus's warnings. Was there any alternative to this? Rufus and Gia needed to be in there to get any of them out. There's an argument that either Lucy or Wyatt should have stayed behind with Christopher, but I think their chances of survival were probably higher in the lifeboat. They jump successfully, just as the Rittenhouse people enter the warehouse. Jake Neville is with them, and Agent Christopher surrenders to them, and she's put in handcuffs. Mason is also present now. He gives a smug speech about her treating him like a peasant in his own kingdom and asks how does it feel to be on the other end of the stick. She ignores him and asks for her attorney. Neville says he'll get right on that, said in a way that means he won't be doing that at all. The lifeboat has landed. The caption on the screen tells us it is February 20th, 1954. They're all looking out of sorts after the time jump, although Wyatt says it was no worse than usual. They don't know where this Rittenhouse Summit is going to be. Lucy suggests they start with Joe McCarthy. He's in the middle of his infamous anti-communist trials, and Lucy reckons he's practically wearing a giant neon sign saying Rittenhouse. 
Rufus's injuries mean he can't go anywhere, so Gia stays with him while Lucy and Wyatt head out. In story terms, splitting them into two teams means they can cut back and forth between them, which is standard technique in TV scriptwriting and editing, especially if you're after a fast-paced adventure kind of show. I sort of feel like it could have been fun to keep the four of them together, especially when we're already going to be cutting back and forth to what Flynn is doing. But, certainly with Rufus injured, it makes the most sense to split them up. Lucy is definitely onto something, because at that moment Flynn is talking to McCarthy. Flynn wants to know where the Rittenhouse Summit is going to be. It's scheduled for that night, we discover, which means Flynn is rather cutting it fine. He's only given himself a matter of hours to find the location. Flynn blackmails McCarthy by threatening to expose that he falsely claimed 32 aerial missions to qualify for his Distinguished Flying Cross award. So McCarthy gives him the address of the summit. To get an audience with McCarthy in the first place, Flynn had apparently promised the identities of two communist spies. He says he's a man of his word and hands McCarthy two photos. The photos are of Wyatt and Lucy. The credits are on screen at this point. This episode is written by Erica Lizanne Mittman. She previously wrote episode 9, Stranded, and she has also co-written the first episode of season 2. And this episode is directed by Matt Earl Beasley. It's his only episode of Timeless so far, but he's also directed episodes of many, many TV shows, including Powers, Lucifer, Unforgettable, Revenge and Criminal Minds. I haven't talked about other roles much during these podcasts, but obviously the director of photography is a really important role. The director of photography on the pilot was Sam McCurdy, and on seven episodes it was Mark Cho, but the director of photography on half the episodes, including this one, was Jimmy Lindsay. I think all of them have done a brilliant job. Timeless always looks fantastic. Gia suggests they can't keep walking around in the clothes they've been wearing. So when we next see them, Lucy and Wyatt have acquired some clothes appropriate to 1954. Wyatt says he digs the 50s. Lucy's not so impressed. She says it's a time of racist repressed ward cleavers, which is a reference I had to look up. But the meaning is clear whether or not you know who ward cleaver is. Lucy says the whole place is a powder keg. Wyatt says, yeah, but the cars are cool. His love of cars is something we'll hear more about, but that's a story for another time. Lucy actually agrees with him about the cars. They cross the street headed for the McCarthy hearings and are arrested by the FBI, who plant a Russian gun on Wyatt while they're at it. All this is thanks to Flynn, and the look on Lucy's face says she knows it. We cut back to Rufus and Gia. He says sorry, she's missing all the excitement with Wyatt and Lucy. And then he sees that her right eye has gone bright red. He's worried this is because there were four of them in the lifeboat, but she's dismissive of it and says it's just a bloodshot eye. 
Wyatt and Lucy have been separated. Flynn gets a few moments alone with Lucy. I would have thought Flynn should have been long gone from here by now, but apparently not. And it seems only right to have another of these Lucy and Flynn conversations in the last episode of the season. He tells her, your Wyatt is fine. He always calls him your Wyatt. As if Wyatt is completely unimportant, except that he's important to her. Of course, if you believe that Wyatt and Lucy are going to be a couple someday, and if you believe that Flynn might know something about that, then saying to Lucy, your Wyatt, could be a giant spoiler. Maybe, maybe not. He says he's going to destroy Rittenhouse tonight, and that includes her grandfather, Ethan Cahill. He doesn't know what that will mean for Lucy, but it probably isn't good. I suppose if that happened, she would jump back to a present where she never existed. As the time traveller, she might not actually die, but she'd be going back to a timeline in which no one knew her at all. We've heard about Ethan Cahill before. Benjamin Cahill talked about him. The writers have been laying the groundwork for who he is and why he's important. Lucy asks why Flynn is telling her about Rittenhouse and Ethan. Flynn says he thought she deserves the truth. She says what does he want from her? He says he doesn't want anything. She says really? She thinks he wants her to talk him out of it. She doesn't think he's a monster anymore. She used to. Now she thinks he's a broken man who misses his family. He tells her not to talk about his family like she knows them. She says if he wants to stop Rittenhouse then she'll help him. But not like this. So he asks her, well what's the alternative then? But she doesn't have one. He says goodbye and walks away. McCarthy tries to question Wyatt. Wyatt says he's a coward and terrified he'll be found out just like every other bully. McCarthy tells his two guards to teach Wyatt some manners, but they're no match for him. He takes them both down in one of the best fight scenes we've had in Timeless. It doesn't last many seconds, though. Now it's McCarthy's turn to answer some questions. After which, Wyatt breaks into the room where Lucy is being held, and they make their escape. Wyatt says they're going to need another way into the summit now. Lucy says Flynn told her her grandfather Ethan is going to be there, so they can follow him. We cut to Agent Christopher. She's in a room alone. Mason comes in and tells her to come with him. She refuses at first. She says she'll take her chances. He says with what? There's no due process here. Come with him or leave her family not knowing whatever happened to her. There's no trace of the obnoxious smarm he's been exuding whenever Jake Neville is around. Which is an example of how good an actor Patterson Joseph is. He takes her to another room where he explains that in their haste to track the stolen time machine, Rittenhouse gave him access to NSA servers. This is the data farm that was talked about in the previous episode. With access to all that data, he was able to compile a dossier on Benjamin Cahill, enough to convict him seven times over. He says anyone can play the crusading cop, but he was playing the long game. 
He says she is dull but honest. She can take this to the dull, honest authorities. She wants to know why she should believe him. He says because once Gia is trained to pilot the lifeboat, Rittenhouse intends to eliminate Rufus. Mason says he richly deserves whatever's coming to him, but Rufus deserves better. Lucy and Wyatt have tracked down Ethan Cahill and they follow him in a stolen car to a club, but they quickly realise this isn't the Rittenhouse summit. They followed Ethan Cahill to a gay bar. Rufus is trying to reach Wyatt on a walkie-talkie of some kind, because he's worried about Gia, but Wyatt isn't answering. Gia tells him to stop worrying, her eye isn't even red anymore, it's cleared. She asks what he thinks the others are doing. He says it's probably a lot like Greece, but super violent. She smiles for a moment, but then her eyes flutter, like she's having a seizure, and she collapses. Lucy and Wyatt are discussing Ethan. Lucy reminds Wyatt he could be arrested for being gay in 1954, which he would surely know without her having to tell him. That line of dialogue is really only in there for the audience, and I don't think they needed it either. It should have been cut from the script, really. Wyatt sees someone admiring him and says, he's looking at me like I'm a piece of meat. Lucy says, I can't imagine what that's like. Which is amusing, but also it suggests that Lucy Preston considers herself to be attractive. And, well, why wouldn't she? The Lucy Preston we've seen throughout this season has been struggling to cope with everything that has happened to her. But I think before all this, she was a confident, successful woman. She's brave and she's resourceful. They introduce themselves to Ethan. At first he denies he is Ethan Cahill. Then he assumes he's being blackmailed and offers them money. They say they don't want his money. They want him to take them to the Rittenhouse summit. We cut back to Rufus. He's holding Gia. She's still unconscious. He tells her, though he assumes she can't hear him, that since he's been time-travelling, he's nearly died a lot. Each time he told himself that when he got back he would tell her that he loved her. But each time something would stop him. He would get scared. He says how about they make a deal. She promises to hang on and he promises to stop holding back. But then her condition gets worse. She starts fitting. <laughs> Lucy is driving Ethan to the summit. Ethan's in the front with her. Wyatt is sitting in the back. Ethan says Lucy looks familiar to him. She says her father is in Rittenhouse. Maybe he's met him. They've told Ethan that Flynn wants to kill everyone in Rittenhouse. He asks why. Lucy tells him it's because Rittenhouse killed his family. Ethan says if they find out about him, then they'll kill him too. He says he loves his wife and son, but he can't stop feeling the way he feels. Lucy says there's nothing wrong with him, and Wyatt says for what it's worth, she's right. He says when he was 18, his father caught him with a friend. He spent an hour whipping him with his belt and then told him all about Rittenhouse. He says if Flynn does destroy all of Rittenhouse, he might thank him. 
They arrive at the place. Wyatt thinks Flynn will most likely be in the basement if he's trying to destroy the whole building. They ask Ethan to distract any guard at the back door, and then Wyatt and Lucy enter the basement. Flynn has rigged explosives all over the place, but he's alone. Wyatt sees his chance to stop Flynn and steps forward, ready to shoot. But Lucy steps between them so that Wyatt can't fire. She tells Flynn she's not here to fight. She wants to help him. She says she knows he's not a bad man. He doesn't want to kill a building full of people. He says he will do it to put his wife and child back on this earth. She says it won't work. He says she doesn't know that. He says he prayed to God and he was brought to this place to do this. She says maybe he was brought to her, to Lucy. They are all so caught up in their grief. They need to stop trying to fix the past and focus on the present. She knows a way to really take out Rittenhouse. She just needs him to hear her out. First she has to persuade Wyatt to put his gun away. There's been no suggestion up until now that Lucy had an alternative plan. It's the first anyone has heard of it. She asks Wyatt, do you trust me? And I guess the answer is that he does. So next we see a car arrive back at the site where Rufus is waiting. Lucy, Wyatt, Ethan and Flynn all get out of the car. Rufus starts to explain about Gia but then sees Flynn. Wyatt says it's okay. Lucy says he's not here to hurt you. Flynn says that's right, he's not. Lucy turns to Ethan and tells him they're from the future. Rufus says, look, they need to get Gia back right now. And Lucy says that Rufus and Wyatt should go. She needs to stay and she'll get home with Flynn in the mothership. Wyatt does not like this plan. He says he's already lost her to Flynn once, he can't do it again. But she says she needs him to trust her a little longer. And she needs Ethan to see the time machine jump. So reluctantly, Wyatt and Rufus do as she asks. They jump away, and Ethan now believes it is a time machine. And she tells him that she's his granddaughter. He actually believes this straight away. He says she's the spitting image of his mother when she was young. She says, can you imagine what Rittenhouse would do with a time machine? He says, no one can take out Rittenhouse. She says she believes she can, but she's going to need him to stay in Rittenhouse and to lead a double life his whole life. And next we cut back to the present day. Lucy and Wyatt visit Ethan again. He's now a very old man, sitting in a wheelchair beside a fire in the home. It's a lovely little scene, this. It's very poignant. It's been 63 years, but he sees that they haven't aged a day. He says as the decades went by, he started to wonder if he'd dreamt it all. So many times he thought about running. But then his son Benjamin told him he'd fathered a daughter, Lucy. Lucy says it must have been so hard, she's so sorry. He says he did what she asked him to do. Wyatt passes him a clock and he opens it up and takes a piece of paper from inside. At first Lucy is unsure, she says that's all but on the paper is an address 
then we cut to that address Wyatt and Lucy are looking around the place is filled with boxes and filing cabinets full of documents Ethan didn't just keep records on Rittenhouse he built an entire case against them Agent Christopher and Connor Mason arrive Wyatt wasn't expecting Mason and initially he's suspicious of him but Christopher says he's okay he got her out of Mason Industries. She says somewhere under all that smarm there's an actual heart. He seems quite pleased she would say that. Christopher says all this evidence is going to take years to sort. But Mason says if he can have the list of Rittenhouse names, then he has the software to compile evidence against them far more quickly and efficiently. Rufus visits Jeer in hospital. He's brought the entire second series of the A-Team for them to watch. She tells Rufus that back in 1954 she couldn't open her eyes but she heard everything he said. She's been waiting 60 years to tell him she loves him too. They kiss and it looks like a happy ending for them but then Gia has another seizure. Through the hospital window the Golden Gate Bridge can be seen. The bridge flickers and for a moment it is replaced with a different version of the bridge. It looks like the bridge is still being constructed. There are cranes, parts of the bridge are missing. There is what looks like an old-fashioned steamer boat passing through. The bridge construction took place between 1933 and 1937 so if we're seeing the bridge being constructed then we're getting a glimpse into the past between those years. It is possible we could be seeing an alternative present or an alternative future, but I think that is much less likely. After a moment the bridge returns to normal, and then so does Jeer. Rufus wasn't looking out the window, he was looking at Jeer, so it's not clear if he saw what we saw, and Jeer may not have seen it either because she was having her seizure. This is the first of two maybe three big cliffhanger mysteries that we were left with at the end of season one. Just what did we see here? And will Gia be okay? This scene is the last we see of Rufus and Gia for this season. Oh. Agent Christopher goes back into Mason Industries with backup and has Jake Neville and Benjamin Cahill arrested. It's not clear how many others, but presumably everyone who came in with them. It's a triumphant moment for Christopher. But just how secure is this building when Rittenhouse have had control of it for a while now? Lucy meets with Garcia Flynn. He asks if she's alone. She says she said she would be. She hands him a USB drive. She says it's from Ethan's files. It identifies the man who gave the order to kill his family and the men who carried it out. She tells him to take one last trip in the mothership, save his family, then surrender the mothership or destroy it. He says once he has his family back he never wants to see that machine again. He turns to go, then says, he almost forgot, and he gives her the journal. She says he never told her where he got it from. He says she gave it to him. 
He says she can take it from him. She ages very well. She says, what are you talking about? But this seems to confirm that an older Lucy has already met with a younger Flynn. And I still find this baffling. It's a rule of the show that you can't travel within your own lifetime. So did Lucy meet Flynn before she was born? If so, then Flynn would have been just a boy himself. Is that what happened? That she gave him the journal when he was just a boy? Well, it's a mystery for another time. Flynn doesn't explain any further, and a moment later, armed troops rush in and take him into custody. And Agent Christopher arrives. She tells Lucy that Flynn is a terrorist. Think about what he's done. Flynn is yelling that he trusted Lucy with his family as they take him away. Lucy is trying to tell him that she had no idea this would happen, that she's sorry. He says she has no idea what she's done. Does he just mean what she's done to his family? Probably he does. Or is he saying that what's just happened here is something even worse? Next we see the lifeboat has been returned to Mason Industries again. So some time has passed. Agent Christopher tells Wyatt and Lucy that 150 Rittenhouse people have been arrested. Some in government, many corporate lawyers. She says that her agents are on the way to retrieve the mothership and Wyatt and Lucy should be very proud. Flynn will be tried in a private military court. Lucy still thinks that they should have let him save his family first. Christopher says she's not going to apologise for doing her job. But I think if I were Lucy, I would be very wary of Christopher in future. However, she says a deal is a deal and she has secured permission for Lucy to take the lifeboat out one more time to get her sister back. Every time this has been offered to Lucy before now, it tends to get snatched away from her again. I'm just saying. Lucy and Wyatt are alone. She says, what will he do now? Go back to Pendleton, take up another mission? He says, yes, that's how it works. She says, thank you, thank you for everything. He says they'll stay in touch. He'll call her if he ever needs a bossy know-it-all. She says she'll text him the next time she needs a reckless hothead. He says that sounds good and they hug each other. One of those hugs that seems to go on longer than it really should. He says maybe Pendleton could wait a little bit. He wouldn't miss the chance to help her get her sister. She says she's really sorry he won't be able to get Jessica back. He says maybe they do need to stop trying to fix the past and start looking at the present. Maybe he does need to be open to possibilities which is a reference back to the Bonnie and Clyde episode, which was probably the closest these two have been. She asks him possibilities of what, and she moves slightly towards him. He says he doesn't know, but he does know he's not ready to say goodbye yet. Connor Mason walks past, brilliant timing and says the lifeboat will be recharged and ready to go in three hours. Lucy tells Wyatt to tell Rufus she'll be back in an hour. There's something she needs to do first. 
She walks away and that's the final shot of Wyatt for this season. In the last scene of this episode and the season, Lucy goes home to speak to her mother. Carol looks very unhappy as Lucy walks into the kitchen, but her mood changes when she sees Lucy. She runs forward and hugs her. She says it's been days. Where's Lucy been? So I guess Noah didn't tell her anything. Lucy says she has something to tell her. She's going to think she's insane. She tells her Connor Mason invented a time machine. On her first mission she travelled to 1937. When she left she had a sister and when she came back she was gone. She starts describing her sister. She says Amy is her best friend. Her mother says this person doesn't exist. Lucy says she does exist. And if Carol woke up one day and Lucy was gone, then she would have to do the exact same thing. Her mother says the same as what? Lucy says she has to get Amy back. But the problem is that in the original timeline, Carol was very sick. And she's going to do everything she can to save her, but time travel is unpredictable. She just wants to tell her that she loves her. Carol takes hold of her again and says, Oh, sweetheart, you won't lose me, I promise. Rittenhouse would never allow it. They would never allow Lucy to take the lifeboat to make Carol sick. All to get back some girl no one but Lucy even knows or cares about. Lucy is completely stunned. She can't comprehend what this means. Carol says, how do you think I met your father? We both come from good, strong, Rittenhouse families. And that almost makes Lucy royalty. Carol says Lucy has made everyone proud. She has an incredible future. As they're speaking, Rittenhouse has an operative on the mothership. And while Carol continues to talk, we see some dead or unconscious troops near the mothership. And then we see Emma Whitmore is standing in the doorway of the time machine and it's clear that Emma is the Rittenhouse operative. Carol says soon they will control everything, the past and the present and the future, and together they will change history. And that is the end of the episode and the end of season one. This double plot twist with Carol and Emma came as a complete surprise to me. In retrospect, I should have seen it coming. The clues were there, particularly how family history is key to everything within Rittenhouse. But I think Susanna Thompson, who plays Carol Preston, was so good at appearing to know absolutely nothing about Rittenhouse or time travel or anything Lucy was doing. Even in this last scene, right up to the moment she reveals her hand, there is no hint that it's coming. So where did we end up? Lucy was obviously left in a dire position. Wyatt seems to have been forgiven for his stealing the lifeboat incident, presumably because of everything he did after that in support of Agent Christopher. Rufus has been patched up after his gunshot wound, but he's obviously worried about Gia. We're all worried about Gia, but her seizures are so interesting 
we could feel confident she still had a role to play. Agent Christopher is back in charge, and Corner Mason has probably done enough to avoid prosecution. So what would happen next? Those of us who watched this when it was first broadcast have had to wait a year for answers. What we did get about six months ago was the DVD set. There are three deleted scenes on the last disc, all cut from this last episode. They all come after Lucy has persuaded Flynn to go along with her plan for Ethan to collect evidence against Rittenhouse. In the first deleted scene, the mothership arrives back in the present day with Lucy, Flynn and Emma on board. Flynn says he's trusting Lucy with his family's lives. If it doesn't work, she says it will work. He says she barely knows Ethan. Lucy says that's why they call it Faith. Lucy walks away from them. Emma steps up to Flynn and says she doesn't trust Lucy. The visual effects for this scene weren't done, so I guess it was cut at quite an early stage. I think although it's interesting, it doesn't add anything of great significance to what we already know. The second scene is of Rufus and Mason at the hospital. Rufus is just being discharged after treatment for his gunshot wound. Lucy has told Rufus that Mason was helping them all along. Mason lists off all of his many faults but says pretending to sell out Rufus, it was harder than he expected. Rufus is obviously still feeling awkward about their relationship now. He says he'd better go check on Gia. Mason says he's glad Rufus is alright. The camera lingers on Mason as Patterson Joseph delivers one of his trademark guess what I'm thinking moments, with various emotions showing on his face. Could be regret, could be pride, could be a whole range of things. I think this scene does add something to the story that is missing otherwise, a bit of reconciliation between these two men. And in the last of these deleted scenes, Mason has been sifting through the Rittenhouse data provided by Ethan, he rushes down to find Agent Christopher and tells her that Emma is a Rittenhouse sleeper agent. This does add something to the story, but it would have revealed Emma's duplicity slightly earlier, and I think that would have lessened its impact. It's more powerful revealed at the same time as we get the revelations about Carol Preston. <laughs> So that brings me to the end of my podcast looking at season one of Timeless. It's been a big undertaking for me, but it's been really rewarding to look in such close detail at how this story has unfolded, both within the individual episodes and across the season as a whole. I've tried to look seriously at each of the episodes, how they were structured and what they tried to achieve, and look a little deeper than I would have done just as a fan of the show. I hope you've agreed with at least some of my opinions, and I hope once in a while I've been able to point out some things in the episodes that maybe you hadn't noticed before. I think if you want a crash course in TV script writing, you really couldn't do any better than taking a close look at the scripts for Timeless. That's all for this episode, but it's not the end of this podcast. Timeless Season 2 starts its UK broadcast on the 4th of April. 
and I'll be discussing the episodes each week as they're broadcast here. I'm not sure if the podcast will be quite the same as it has been up till now. Obviously I have very limited knowledge of where the story is going. I have seen a few episodes now, so I have some idea. But I'm sure there are going to be lots of surprises and unexpected plot developments down the line. In episode 13 of season 1, Anthony Brule gave a stark account of what he thought Rittenhouse would do with the time machine. Take another look at that and you'll have a pretty good idea what's in store. So next time I'll be discussing season 2, episode 1, The War to End All Wars. I hope you'll join me then. All the podcasts so far are available on the site, timelessfiles.podbean.com or in all the usual podcasting places including iTunes, Stitcher and TuneIn. And you can find me on Twitter at, at @timelessfiles. I always welcome feedback if you've got any comments. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.